Good morning. This morning, we want to continue our study of management from a Christian worldview. And when you're talking about Christian worldview, you're talking about the timeless universal principles of Scripture. In Christianity, we view our source of authority as the Word of God. Sadly, there are many that assume their source of authority is their experience or their what they think or what they feel. Uh, these are not ultimate sources of authority. The ultimate source, the definitive source, is the Word of God, as historically understood by the Christian church. So we were trying to propagate that thinking through this teaching. So this is part two of four teachings on management. Last time we talked about the purpose of management. Hopefully you recall that teaching, you've heard that teaching, and the purpose of management is to be agents to fulfill the creation mandate. That's the, that's the ultimate end of what management should be doing. Today, we want to talk about the nature of management, the essence of management. Next month, we'll talk about the responsibility of management, and we'll conclude the following month with the Ten Commandments of Management. But today, we want to talk about the essence of management. Uh, I'm reminded of a story by a, about a philosopher and a scientist who were talking one day. The philosopher asked the scientist, uh, you know, what was the what's the nature of energy? And the scientist responded with, well, energy is the capacity to do work. The philosopher said, well, I didn't ask you for a functional definition. I asked you for the nature of management or the essence of management. What is it? And the only way you can answer the question of essence or nature of anything is you have to go back to the creator and what the creator had in mind when that creator created that that essence. So when we're talking about the nature of management, we're talking about a creator who has created human beings to function in organizations to fulfill the creation mandate of Genesis 1. 26 through 28. And when we think about the essence of that, we're, we're talking about the essential, you know, what does it get to? What's the highest level of thinking about management? From a Christian worldview, I think the highest level way to think about management is to think about it as a shepherd. It's easy for us today to think about management functionally, just like the scientists can think about energy functionally. We think about management as a function. If you had asked me when I first you know, went into the family business many years ago, what's, what is management? What's the nature of management? I would have given you a functional definition. I would have said something like, well, what management does, you coordinate men and materials to accomplish a project on time, on scope, and on budget. That That's a pretty functional definition of what management does. It's true, but it's not the highest level of thinking about management. It's not the ultimate sense of what management really is. It's not the essence of management. The essence of management is to think as a shepherd. A shepherd is someone who is assigned to a flock to care for the flock. But fundamentally, the shepherd reports to the master and must execute the will and the ways of the master. So that's the essential nature. And I want to point a text, point us to a text uh, in Ezekiel chapter 34 that illustrates this and just walk us through this text and give some examples of the principles 
And there are seven basic components that go into thinking of management as a shepherd that will then guide you in how to function as a manager. And the way this is presented to us is it's presented as judgment against the nation of Israel for their failure to properly shepherd. So when you see their, how they, they improperly shepherd, you can then discern how to properly shepherd. So we're, we're working, looking at, at a judgment that's being executed. And from that judgment, we're discerning what true shepherding should look like. So Ezekiel was a priest who lived in about the 6th century BC. He lived at the time when Israel was in exile. And Israel was in exile because of sin, because of idolatry. And Israel, even today, still labors under idolatry and under judgment because of their failure to obey the Old Testament. They still have the Old Testament. They still have the Old Testament law. They claim to be under the Old Testament, but they don't live it. And so they continue to experience judgment because of that. Things that are happening right now, in part, are due to the judgment on them for their failure to obey the law. When you fail to obey the law, that means you're an idolater. And idolatry will be judged. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're idolatrous, you will be judged. It's true of the Jews. It's true of the ethnicities. So let's take a look at Ezekiel 34. And I want to just read the text and make a few comments. And it illustrates these, these seven key traits of what godly shepherding looks like. The word of the Lord came to me. Now, this is Ezekiel writing, son of man. You may recognize that term, son of man. That's a term Jesus used, which means Jesus was identifying with the Old Testament prophecies that spoke of the son of man. This is one of them. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Remember, the shepherds of Israel were the leaders who were assigned to care for the people of God, the Old Testament ecclesia. If you read the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, which is the Greek translation, and which I understand most likely was what was used by Jesus and the early apostles was the Septuagint translation, not more than the Hebrew, Hebrew original language. In that translation, the word ecclesia is used to refer to the Old Testament people of God. We know that same term refers to the New Testament people of God, which we commonly call church today. But the word church is a term that refers to a small building. And it's common for us to refer to buildings as churches. But that's not what Jesus meant when he used the word ecclesia. What he meant is he called out a group of people to represent him in executing his commands. So that's what we should be doing. That's what Israel should have been doing. But Israel failed. They were given the opportunity, but they failed. And remember, they lived at a time when the Holy Spirit did not indwell the members of the Ecclesia. We live downstream of the coming of Christ, his atoning work for the sin of man, and now him sending the Holy Spirit to not only regenerate the members of the ecclesia, but to empower them to be able to obey. So the Old Testament ecclesia did not have the Holy Spirit. That gift was given to the New Testament ecclesia, which is why we have the power for the first time, really, 
since the coming of Christ to be able to live at a level that the Old Testament ecclesia could never live at. And we have responsibility to live at that level. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Please note, he is sovereign Lord. Jesus is sovereign Lord. There is no other Lord. Whoever the Lord is, they define everything and they make all the choices. We are simply their servants. That is a really profound reality when you get it. Sadly, today, we want to hold on to the idea that we make the choices. No, if you make the choices, you are Lord. If you believe Jesus is Lord, he makes the choices. So you got to be clear on that. This is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel. That means judgment to them. This is a lamentation. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not care for the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep, this is again the sovereign Lord talking, my sheep wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for them or looked for them. You notice that God has chosen by his sovereign will to use leaders and human beings to mediate his will. So these shepherds are mediators of the will of God, and they're being held accountable for their failure to mediate the will of God. Verse 7 now, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, the sovereign Lord, as surely as I live declares the sovereign Lord. I mean, this is going to happen. This is the reality of it. This is the judgment because my flock lacks a shepherd. You see, when you don't function the way you're called to function, then whatever you were supposed to function over lacks someone to steward it properly. The sovereign Lord is there. But the sovereign Lord is working through the shepherds. So they lacked the shepherd because they didn't function properly. And, as, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. That is, the flock has become plundered and food. And because my shepherds do not search for my flock, but care for themselves rather than for my flock. They were narcissists. They were hedonists. They were humanists. Therefore, all shepherds are, oh, shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. So this is a this is judgment pronounced on the leaders. Now you can hopefully you can immediately recognize this could be happening today. It could be happening in the New Testament ecclesia, just like it happened in the Old Testament ecclesia, where the leaders are failing to shepherd the flock. 
And my thesis is that most leaders today tend to be poor shepherds. They tend to be no shepherds because they only care about themselves. They're building Towers of Babel largely. Towers of Babel are about building monuments to yourself. It's self-glory. It's look how great I am. It's orphan thinking. It's orphanity. It's living independent of God, his will, and his ways. So that, to me, is what's going on largely today as well. So let's just take a look at these seven traits of godly stewardship that we can infer from looking at the judgment that's executed here on the shepherds of Israel. The first trait of godly leadership is true leaders don't feed themselves first. They lead. They lead their flock to good food. So this is what real servant leadership is, is is serving the purpose of God in people, guiding people and directing people. An example of someone who did this pretty well was a pagan named Herb Kelleher, who was the president of Southwest Airlines for many years. He was one of the founders of the company. He was very committed to taking care of his sheep and to putting them ahead of himself. He was known for practicing the golden rule, a very simple principle, treat people the way you would want to be treated. Now, that you got to understand the golden rule correctly. The golden rule works if you think biblically, if you think about how God wants you treated and embrace that, and then you try to treat others the way you know God wants you to be treated, and he wants you to treat others the same. Now, we have people who are narcissistic and hedonistic and selfish and all that, No, that's not the way you treat people. You treat the people in a way that truly would honor the Lord, that would be consistent with his will and his ways. Herb Kelleher did that. The second aspect of leading well is to feed. True shepherds sacrificially feed the sheep first. They they think about the sheep first. They think about how to train and how to nourish. If you don't spiritually feed the sheep, It's the same as not physically feeding them. They're malnourished. Most of what I run in today commonly are people who are malnourished. They may attend church. They may be part of the leadership in the church, but they are not nourished on truth well. So there are a few people in history that have really understood this. One of them was Marion Wade, who was the founder of Service Master. Through a series of really traumatic experiences, he had a revelation of how critical it was to build his life and run his business based on scripture. He became very clear that rational empirical pragmatism, which is the common way that most managers function, rational, they think about things, they experience things empirically, and they're pragmatic, you know, whatever works to produce a profit, that's what they adopt. They think that's truth. He was persuaded that was not the way to come to truth. The way to come to truth was look at scripture. Let scripture inform you as to what is true and feed your flock and serve your customers based on the truth of the word of God. So that's a shepherd who had a good sense of feeding. The third thing that shepherds do is they strengthen. They, They recognize that many of the sheep are very weak. They lack training. They may lack clarity on their calling. 
they may may lack under, uh, character, you know, character training, character issues in their life that block them. Whatever it is that they lack, you know, you must identify that and strengthen them. One of the best at this was the was uh, Thomas Watson who built IBM. He didn't found IBM. He was hired, and once he hired, he became the leader, and he became a very well known leader. And he was known for building his people up. He strengthened them. He helped them identify their callings, and then he trained them to fulfill those callings well. And he had a high view of biblical values. I don't know if he was a Christian. He might have been, but he he held to biblical values and biblical principles. At the very least, he had common grace to walk that out well, better than most. So he strengthened his people, and by strengthening his people, he strengthened his company. The fourth trait of a true true manager who's a good shepherd is someone who heals the sick and binds the wounded. You know, you're recognizing what are the wounds in people. Most everyone has some level of trauma in them, and trauma becomes a major block. Most everyone has is married, and most everyone has difficulty in marriage. Marriage is a challenging proposition. It is a spiritual gem where you work out and you have to apply the truth of the word of God. And if you don't do that well, it will not go well in your marriage. Well, there were few people in history that really understood this. And one of them was Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy is the founder of Chick-fil-A. And he recognized that for to have good workers, to faithful workers that would d- deliver the value proposition he felt called to deliver, he had to have healthy homes. That is his workers had to be in healthy homes, and that meant they have have to have healthy marriages. So about 20, 25 years ago, he became so convicted of this, he decided to start offering free marriage retreats and free marriage counseling to all of his stakeholders, which included franchisees as well. So they had company stores and franchises, but anyone that was connected with Chick-fil-A was welcome to attend marriage retreats or get marriage counseling, or both, at at no cost to them. He even spent a million dollars, which back then was a whole lot of money, to build a marriage retreat to do just that. And this became the cornerstone of his value proposition. Years later, when the, the third generation came into to, uh, to power in the company, and they were considering going public, they realized the importance of this tradition of supporting godly marriages and how critical that was. And so they decided not to go public because they felt like if we go public, we'll have to compromise and we don't want to compromise this. We've got to hold true to the importance of godly marriages and support godly marriages. Sadly, since they made that decision, that was probably a decision they made about about 15 years ago. But sadly, since that's happened, the company has kind of given in to the culture and it's going to get the consequences of that because they were standing strong on the truth as good shepherds. And now they're waning somewhat uh, and and maybe departing from some of the the truth that Truett saw and he lived in. The fifth characteristic of a godly shepherd is by find the lost. The lost are the apostate. The apostate are those that have abandoned their post. That's what it literally means to abandon your post. Where normally we would use the term apostate in terms of doctrinal things. 
But apostate also refers to calling. If you haven't discovered your calling, you're apostate. If you have discovered it and are not walking in it, you're apostate. It doesn't matter whether you know it or don't know it. If you are not in your calling, you're apostate. So when you see the beggar on the street, uh, you look at him, you should see immediately you're looking at an apostate person. They have abandoned their post because they may not know their post or they may know their post. Either way, if you're not doing it, you've abandoned it. So you're apostate. So part of the role of shepherds is to recognize who's really supposed to be part of the organization, who's part of their flock, who's in their garden, to use various imagery here for you, and go and find them and bring them in. And that's the reason we have evangelists. Evangelists help us go find the people who are supposed to be part of our communities and help us to bring them in and hopefully help us begin to train them and disciple them. So that's number five, find the lost. Found number six, we need to rule well. We are called to rule. Rule is where you have authority to rule. All authority comes from God. There's no authority that exists except that which comes from God. So shepherds have to recognize they they have authority to rule the flock because God has given them that authority. You don't take authority. You are given authority. And you discern where you are given that authority and you exercise it faithfully before the Lord, which means you don't rule harshly or brutally. You rule kindly, graciously, and you rule, rule firmly, and you rule aligned with the will and ways of God. And one example of this was real manufacturing up in Minnesota, which about two decades ago became convicted that they needed to pay a living wage to everyone in the company. And at that time, uh, many of the technicians in the company had wages that were way below living wage. So the company management team put together a plan. They developed an understanding of what a living wage would be for a family of four, uh, living a, a middle middle class lifestyle, paying for all the expenses, including schooling and clothing and food and everything you would need to live. And they determined we need to pay our technicians a living wage at the time when other technicians and other companies were not being paid that. And they discovered that it was a big gap between what was acceptable pay and what should be a living wage, but they wouldn't give up. You know, everybody around them was telling them they were fools. You can't do this. This is not going to work. But they they insisted we were convicted by the Lord that we must pay a living wage. They believed that was their responsibility to rule well. And they felt like if they didn't pay that living wage, they would be harsh and brutal. They'd be using and abusing people. So they sought the Lord. And over time, the Lord brought them a strategy for how to do that. And they were able to do that. You've got to be willing to fight the battles. You've got to know there's going to be battles and there's going to be people, naysayers and people trying to discourage you. And even people within your own organization and you, even your own, own nature might be opposing you. you. So you've got to fight the battles to rule well and follow your convictions. And your convictions need to be biblically informed convictions. And finally, you need to protect. Number seven. You have to protect the flock from the wolves. There's always wolves out there trying to pick off the people of God, trying to discourage them, get them off track, 
keep them from following the fullness of what God has called them to do. So we've got to be very diligent about that. And an example of someone that really understood this was, again, Southwest Airlines. Uh, It's so interesting to see these examples from a company that did not profess to be Christian in any way. But they followed Christian principles. They had some grace to do this. So at one point in time in the development of the company, um, they realized that finding people that would value the golden rule was absolutely essential. So they they went out and made sure that everyone that was hired was was interviewed by Colleen Barrett, who was called the keeper of the culture. She she interviewed every new hire within 30 days of their hiring. It didn't matter where they were hired. She would travel and meet them and talk with them. And she was a very intuitive woman, very clear on what the company was looking for and able to spot someone that didn't fit quickly. And I had I had an up close and personal look at this because the, you know, the company hired someone from my local community someone that I knew very well, and they went to work at Southwest Airlines, and they didn't last 30 days. When Colleen met the person, she sized them up and realized they they don't fit, and she released them. And I remember talking to this man about it, trying to help him understand what had happened and why, and he never got it. And yet he was a member of our community, and that's when I began to realize Well, this guy may be a member of the community, but he may not even know the Lord. The way he's living, the way he's thinking, the way he's processing life is not Christian. But yet he's regarded as a faithful, tithing, contributing member of our body, which again helped me see how toxic many times our bodies can be because our standards are sometimes so low, we don't even have the standards that worldly companies have in some cases. So we've got to learn how to protect the flock from the wolves, which means you've got to recognize who the wolves are, and you've got to recognize who's in the flock. You've got to be clear on that and what the traits of both are. So this is management as a pastoral function, as we see here in the book of Ezekiel. And these are the examples I just gave you. If you want to go back and, and go back and listen to the recording, the more extensive recording, I tell more of these stories and you can see them there. So what I want to do in the last few minutes is just walk you through an exercise here. This is an exercise to help you confront uh, the issues of what really healthy management shepherding looks like in an organization, any organization. So it's probably helpful to think about some organization that you are part of now, or you've been part of in the past, and think about how the organization functioned, whether you were in leadership or not, uh, you should be able to get some sense of how it functioned. And then rate, uh, you could rate yourself or rate the leaders, however you want to do it, on a scale of zero to 10, where zero is no and 10 is yes. And there's a series of 10 statements here. And I want you to respond to these statements on using the scale. And base, you do your response based on actions, not not what people said. Actions are far more powerful than words to reveal where a person's heart is. So I'm going to walk you through this, and uh, you respond accordingly. And we will then go through and give everybody a chance to respond to this exercise. And I want you to hopefully give us your score 
as well as respond to whatever statement here really jumped out at you, what convicted you, what what prompted you to really think deeper. Uh, whatever that is, I want you to share that with everyone. All right, so the first statement is lead the organization using autocratic management practices. Lead the organization using autocratic management practices. Autocratic is like dictatorial practices. Number two, lead the organization using narcissistic management practices. Narcissism is self-centeredness. Number three, lead the organization using psychopathic management practices. And that's abusive management practices. That's where psychopaths are people that actually enjoy inflicting abuse. So it's not just abuse, it's the enjoyment of abuse. Fourth, do you allow stakeholders to separate from the organization's values and vision? This is called hypocrisy, and it's easy to get in a hypocrisy. We all have a level of this, but sometimes if you're allowed, stakeholders in the organization can disconnect from the values and vision and still remain there. Uh, Hopefully you recognize that is a very dysfunctional practice and you need to look and say, okay, whatever organization you're thinking about, whatever leadership team you're thinking about, did they allow this to happen? The next, does your organization support the vision and values of the culture? And of course the culture is increasingly becoming toxic and anti-Christian. LBGTQ, non-biblical best practices. If you hear, when you hear the term best practices, if unless it's specifically noted that it's biblical best practices, it's going to be probably worldly best practices, and that's going to be, you know, focused on money. That's not going to be very Christian. Next, does your organization fail to feed the stakeholders tangibly and intangibly? Tangibly would be things like a living wage, and intangibly is biblical truth. So what kind of food are you getting from your giving to your stakeholders as leaders? Is, is it true tangible and is it true intangible? Next, what are you failing to, are you failing to care for them intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, morally? And, and in what ways are they wounded? So you've got to look and say, how are the people being treated? in the organization, are they honored and treated as with dignity and value? That's what that's all about. Next, are they being strengthened? Are the stakeholders being strengthened intellectually, mostly spiritually and morally? The next, are you able to find and recognize who's supposed to be connected to the organization to help deliver the value proposition? You know, or is the organization basically so toxic that is scattering people. And finally, is your organization failing to protect the, sta- the stakeholders from the enemies? That is from the wolves who are trying to destroy the organization. So these are challenging propositions. Uh, hopefully you can recognize that I've given you a series of statements that you don't want to be true. You want the opposite to be true. I followed the what scripture gives us here gives us the negative and expects us to infer then the opposite from the negative. 